Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Last Sunday, Pastor Brutes preached a great word, wonderful word called providential provision. And the subtitle to that uh, message was Ruth's story, our story. And in that word, in that message, he revealed the context for Ruth's story, how Naomi and Ruth encountered trouble and how they encountered hardship and, and grief. Yet though things started off terribly in their lives, God took them from a season of bitterness into a season of blessing. And as we review their story, we see that evidence in their lives was the divine hand of God, working behind the scenes to bring them from one season into another. And from their story, uh, from the first couple of chapters as we went over it last Sunday, we, we learn that God shows up in the middle of our story. Aren't you thankful for that? That that is who he is, the God that shows up in the middle of our story. We learn as well that God cares about every single detail of our lives. There's not, nothing that he doesn't care about. There's, there's nothing that he's a God who cares and sustains us. Uh, we learn that God may be silent. Sometimes we go through silent moments. We go through silent seasons. But just because God is silent don't mean uh, he's not working. He is always at work. And I want to pick up today from where we left off and get into the next, next couple of chapters in chapter 3 and 4 of their story. And I want to preach part 2 of providential provision and look at Ruth's faith, God's favor. Ruth's faith, God's favor. Father, I pray right now that you would have your way in this place. We sense your spirit, Lord. Uh, we sense through worship and through all the things, through, through communion. And, and Father, we, we know that you're here. We, we thank you for, for coming and, and touching and moving and, and having your way. Continue to do so as I preach your word. Have your way. Let every heart receive what you would want them to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Preaching from Ruth chapter 4. I want to read verse 7 down to verse 17. Ruth 4, 7 down to verse 17. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers nor from the court of the, his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Epaphratha and, may, and, may, and become famous in Bethlehem. 
Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, uh, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz, verse 13, took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And then the the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life. And a sustainer in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. May God bless his precious word this morning into our hearing. In case you were not here or in case you are like myself, have a touch of uh, forgetfulness, let me set up this text for you this morning. A famine came to the city of Bethlehem in Judah. And so Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, decided that they would move away to the land of Moab with their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And and they moved to a place that is in modern-day, a part of modern-day Jordan. Now, while living in Moab, Elimelech died we learned that last Sunday. Now, if, you're, if you've ever lost a spouse, you can empathize with Naomi. You can enter into her situation. She lost the love of her life. She lost her partner. She lost her best friend. And if you're here this morning and you've encountered losing a parent, you can enter into their situation. The boys lost their father. They lost their mentor. They lost their role model. And even though the situation was not good, to say the least, Naomi still had her two sons, her two boys. And the boys still had their mother. And as we continue in this story, it seems that things are starting to come together for them. It it seems that though they have been going through loss and grief and and, and were mourning, that things were moving on in their lives. Ruth 1, we see that the boys grew up and they got married to two women, one named Orpah and the other one named Ruth, and they lived in that place for 10 years. And so things in their lives were, were t- returning to normal, although albeit, uh, it was a new normal for them. And so for 10 years, there was some stability in their lives. The natural progression that Naomi's sons would have, uh, would have been next with their, their sons and would have had children with their, with their wives before, uh, but before they had that opportunity, we see that both sons passed away. Seemingly very close together, if not at the same time. We don't know all the details. It's not, we're not privy to that. We don't know if they died because of sickness or if they died because of some type of accident. All we know is that her sons passed away. And so Naomi is here left, and not only left a widow, but she's left childless as well. And she finds herself in this situation in a foreign land with two of her daughters-in-law, and wondering what in the world is she going to do next. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you've been in, in a place where you don't know what to do next, where you've encountered something difficult in your life. You don't know where to turn, what to do. And this was what happened in Naomi's life. And so after considering everything, and she decided, you know what? I think it's going to be best for us all to move to Bethlehem. 
For she heard that the famine was over. She got a text from somebody, hey, guys, there's food now. There's famine's over. And, and the Lord had provided food for the people of God. And so she said, the food is there. Let us return. And so they set out and, and was on their way back to the city of Bethlehem. But along the way, as she's, you know, because no doubt she's thinking, she's contemplating and, and all the things that have happened. And she's thinking about her daughters-in-law. They're there with her. And she starts to consider them. And she says, you know what? I think it's best for you both to return to Moab. That's where you grew up. That's where your home is. And I think it's best for you to go home. You can come with me, but, you know, I think you're, you know, you got a better chance of getting married to Moabite men, your Moabite women. Uh, there's a greater chance of maybe you having a better life than coming as foreigners into Bethlehem. There's a better chance of maybe you having kids and, and having a life that you might not have in Bethlehem. And so Orpah considers what her mother-in-law says and says, you know what, I think you're right. I think I'm going to return to Moab. It's an easier decision. Maybe she was going uh, just because, you know, somewhat loyalty or she, maybe she didn't want to leave her. I don't know, but she decides, you know what, I think, it's, I think I'm going to return to Moab. But we see that Ruth decided to go with her regardless. And she said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. This is powerful. The next verse, she says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Excuse me. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Amazing. Commitment. But you know what? It's important to note that Ruth's decision wasn't just centered on loyalty to Naomi. No doubt she was loyal. She was trustworthy. She was committed. But, but her decision was much bigger than just loyalty. This is where we see the inauguration of Ruth's faith. And though she was not an Israelite, she said, I want to be welcomed into your family. And the, peop- and the God you worship is the God I want to worship. You worship Yahweh, I want to worship Yahweh. That was not an easy decision. Because by going with Naomi and being a Moabitess, she was heading into Bethlehem as a minority. By going with Naomi, she was accepting the, the possibility of, of being marginalized and ostracized. Uh, she, was, she was accepting of the fact that I, I might be very well be a, considered a second-class citizen if I'm considered a citizen at all. Uh, but because of her love for Naomi, her mother-in-law, she decided that though she had several things that were not in her favor, that were against her, though she would be at risk of being marginalized, and though she was impoverished and a widow to boot, she said, you know what, I'm going to go with her. I'm going to go with her. And more than having just a love for her mother-in-law and a commitment and a loyalty there, she had a respect and admiration for uh, her faith in God. In Moab, she must have witnessed her, her love for God. I mean, this is not just a decision off the whim, just to make a decision, I'm going to follow your God. She had to see something to convince her that her God was worth following. And in Moab, she must have witnessed Naomi staying steadfast to God despite being in a foreign land. In Moab, she must have witnessed the peace of God in her life as she lost her husband and her boys, and, and, but yet seeing God provide. And what Naomi had in God, Ruth said, you know what? What you got in God was what I want in God. I want what you got. That's why it's important to stay true following God because you never know who's following you and who you can lead to God. Lead to the Lord. 
And so her decision wasn't a relational decision in as much as it was a spiritual decision. Her reason for going wasn't just a family connection, but it was a faith connection. One scholar says, clearly Ruth was not simply moving physically from Moab to Israel. She was leaving the people and gods of Moab and transferring her allegiance to the people of God and to Yahweh himself. Ruth, a descendant of Lot, who chose to leave the promised land in hope of greater blessing elsewhere, reversed her ancestors' decision and moved into the promised land looking for blessing from Yahweh. And because of this decision, God blessed her abundantly. And that blessing was witnessed in the favor shown to her by Boaz, as we learned last Sunday. Boaz, who was a relative of Elimelech uh, and who was wealthy, he took notice one day as Ruth was gleaning in the fields. He said, who is this woman that's here? Like, hey, <laughs> who is this woman? She stood out to him. And uh, though she knew that he knew that she was from Moab, he heard all about that she had done for Naomi, and he heard all about her decision to come with Naomi and her desire to have uh, the people and God of Naomi become her own. He heard about her faith, and because of her faithfulness to Naomi and her commitment and loyalty, and because of her faith in God, he decides, you know what, I'm going to show this young lady some favor. And so he comes to her and he talks to her himself and he, or uh, sorry, he instructs his workers first to leave some grain for her to pick up. He says, as you're working, just leave some grain behind for her to pick up so that she may receive, you know, what she needs, some sustenance. And more so than that, he, he comes to her himself and he says, you know what, Ruth, don't leave this field. There's safety here. I got some young ladies that are working here as well. Uh, they're, they're, they're with me and you stay with them. You'll be protected. And so he, he, and then he even speaks a blessing over her life. He says, may the Lord reward you for your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. We see that they share a meal together. And, and she returns to working in the field and gleans grain there until evening. And she brings what she gleans back to Naomi and tells her everything that happened. Naomi is amazed. I mean, she thought Ruth was just going out to, you know, to work and to get some, to, 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 to glean some, some grain. But here she knows who Boaz is and sees a glimmer of hope that this act of favor could mean something positive for their future. I like the way the message puts it. It says in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter, My, why God bless that man? <laughs> God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. And, and with the ending of the second chapter, we see that day after day, Ruth goes in and gleans in the field of Boaz until the end of the harvest. And by doing so, she provides for both her and her mother-in-law and ultimately is God providing for them. Let me say before we move on that God's provision reveals God's presence. You may be in a season where you feel as though God has forgotten you, but when you see his provision in your life and when and God answers prayer and he's, and, he's, and he's doing something in your life and when you see God's favor, you're reminded that, no, God has not forgotten me. Naomi had been through some tests and through some trials. She had, she had experienced the loss of her husband and her children. And when she returned to Bethlehem, she said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, call me, call me Mara, call me bitter because I'm left, I left here with everything I had. I set out with Moab with all my, my possessions and my family and now I return with nothing because God has afflicted me and he has allowed me to go through this. 
But here she's excited as she learns about Ruth's experience and her heart leaps within her chest as she believes on deep in her spirit that God is up to something. And she interprets Boaz's favor as God's favor. And church today, because of some difficult circumstance that you've been through, you may be tempted to think that God has forgotten you as well. And the devil may come uh, to discourage you and whisper his lies that God has forgotten you. But the truth is today that whatever situation that you're in, that God has not nor ever will forget you. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, the people felt discouraged, they felt forsaken. They felt forgotten, and God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 49, said this. He said, God, God said, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but God says, I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you in the palm of my hands. That's true for today. That's true for uh, way back in the time that Isaiah wrote it, and it's true when Ruth was on the earth. God has not, nor ever will forget or forsake you. He is, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I'm going to tell you, saints of God, I'm going to tell you, church, that God is always with us. Amen? And oftentimes we are discouraged or feel as though you're, we're forgotten by God, but he shows up in our lives in some unique way and reveals, I'm with you. And so know today and learn from this story that God's provision reveals God's presence. God's favor reveals that God is with us, working on our behalf. And secondly, don't allow difficult seasons to define you. Don't allow difficult seasons to define you. Naomi had a reason to be discouraged. I mean, who wouldn't be discouraged after going through the loss that she went through? But you know what? God uses difficult situations to develop faith in our lives. He uses difficult seasons to get us to trust him. He does not necessarily cause the, 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 the season that we're in, but he uses the season that we're in to develop faith in our lives and to give him glory. James in James 1, 2 to 4 spoke about this and he said, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you. Let it do its work so you uh, become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You know what, as we look at the a panoramic view of scripture. We see that the Bible is full of people going through difficult seasons, but God using it develops faith in their lives. And at the end of the day, God does something amazing in their lives that they can't believe. We know that God comes to Abraham at the ripe old age of, at the age of 75, I won't say ripe old age, because we got some people 75 here, but at the age of 75, 75 years young, God comes to Abraham and he promises a son and he, and he reveals to the plan to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, uh, you know, Abraham uh, is 75, uh, uh, Sarah's 65, drawing her old age pension, just gets it. And here she says, you're going to have a son, <laughs> right? 25 years later, can you imagine? 25 years later, he's 100, she's 90, but God shows up, you know, and, and fulfills his promise. Likewise, for years, Hannah, she wanted a baby. If you've ever been there, you want a child in time, year, it goes after year, after year, after year, after year. I know we were 10 years before we had Charlotte. 10 years, long time, waiting and praying for a child. Doctor said, I don't know if you can have kids, but God is faithful, amen? 
And Hannah wanted a, a baby and was barren and was crying it to God year after year, going to the temple and crying and saying, God, hear my prayer. And she was praying earnestly one day in the temple. And pro- God said, I'm going to promise you a son. And the next year, Samuel the, uh, was born. And Samuel, we know, grew up as a great man of God. Moses was forced to flee Egypt because his life was in danger, but God brought him back and used him to set his people free. Uh, Joseph was was sold by his brothers into slavery and even found himself in a prison one day, but God uh, never forgot him. He was there two years, and God raised him up at the right time that he could become the right hand of Pharaoh and and rescue the people and even his family from, from the famine. That was coming. And there are many more examples of God using difficult situations to develop faith and to turn situations around for his glory. You know, God we serve as a God of turnarounds. Sometimes you get through things in your life where you think it's all over, but God is able to step in and turn things around in your life. Amen? Amen. And if there's one thing that we can see in this story is that seasons are temporary. Seasons are temporary. Are you in a season? It's temporary. Some seasons that are difficult are longer than others, but seasons have a time limit. They're temporary. And for Naomi and Ruth, God was about to shift them from a season of bitterness into a season of blessing, as we learned last week. And we can see that shift in Ruth chapter 3. For some time later, in Ruth 3, 1 to 5, Naomi says to Ruth, you know what, I think it's time that I found someone, that I became the matchmaker. I found some, you know, I do the e-harmony thing for you. I find someone for you, Christian Mingle or whatever it is out there. You know, and I find someone for you to marry. You're getting, you're getting older. It's time for you to, you know, find someone. You know, oftentimes in that culture, there are arranged marriages and parents would arrange marriages for their children. And while Naomi may not have had the ability to officially arrange a marriage or maybe the finances or even the authority, she could tell Ruth, you know, what to do. Give her some pointers. Give her some tips to catch Boaz's eye and to reveal that she wanted to marry him. And so she reveals to Ruth the fact that Boaz, Elimelech's relatives, is their kinsman. And according to Leverite law, he was able to be known as a kinsman redeemer. You say, what's that, pastor? Well, kinsman redeemer in that day was a relative who could fulfill the duty of preserving the name of the dead by marrying, uh, marrying the widow of the deceased. They would continue the family line by doing so. They also could qualify to purchase land that their deceased relative owned. And they could do several things uh, uh, of that nature. And so she tells Ruth what to do. She says, you know what, Boaz is going to be down. I heard, I got, a, I got wind, seen it on Facebook. He's going to be going down to the, winnowing, uh, to the threshing floor, and there he's going to be winnowing, winnowing barley. Sorry <laughs> to say and at the threshing floor was a place where the, the grain could be separated from the chaff by tossing it into the area. And so she says, in our terminology, Ruth, you got to do this. you got to get all dolled up. <laughs> you got to get all dolled up, get your hair done, get your nails done, get all cleaned up, take a bath, get a shower, get some nice clothes on, put on some perfume, go and look good and smell good. <laughs> Both are important. And go down there, but Ruth, don't let them see you. Just hide away. Don't let them see you. And after he has his supper, he's going to lie down. I know Boaz. I know how he works. I know, you know, he likes to have a little nap after supper. Turn on the news, you know. <laughs> go down and when he's asleep, go down and lay down at his feet. And when he discovers that you're there, he will tell you what to do. 
Ruth didn't go there for the wrong reasons, if you know what I'm saying. She went to lay down, but she laid down at his feet. In other words, Naomi was saying, he will know that you want to, what your intentions are. Your intentions are to be his wife. He'll know that you want to be redeemed by him. And so that is exactly what she did. She went down, she listened to Naomi. She went down, and laid at his feet, waited for her to go to sleep, and sure enough, he woke up, asked who it was, found out who it was, understand what was happening. He said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have, not, you have shown your kindness to, uh, to be better than the first by not going after the younger men, whether rich or, or poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. And so they went back to sleep, and in the morning, Ruth, without anyone noticing, went on her way, and, and she went back to, uh, Ruth went back to Naomi and told her all that had happened. No doubt she was excited again. And Boaz didn't delay. He goes, that morning, he goes to the place in the city where, where legal matters are, are done and, and uh, uh, you know, where people, a majority of people are there, and he finds his other relative and waits for him to come, and he talks to him, and he says, you know what, um, I, I, you know that Elimelech died. You know that Malon and Chilin died. So there's some land available you can purchase. I know you own some other land, but there's some land here you can purchase. And, uh, you know, you're ahead of me. If you don't purchase it, I like to purchase it. But I'll give you first option. That's how it works. You're, you're closer to him than I was. And so initially this man says, oh, man, it sounds great. Sounds wonderful. And, um, and he's about to, you know, make the deal. And then, oh, Boaz says, Boaz Keener, you know. He's a keener. He's, he's keen. You know, he's smart. He says, oh, by the way, there's a little bit of fine part in that contract, and you've got to marry Ruth, the Moabitess. But, you know, if you want to land, that's, that's the deal. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's too much for me. I already got, you know, maybe he was already married. I don't know. He said, it's going to mess up uh, things on my side, on my end, with inheritance and all that kind of stuff. Boaz, you go ahead. You buy the land. You redeem Ruth. Make her your wife. And so that's what happened. He marries her. They conceive a son whom they name Obed. And as Pastor Bruce pointed out last week, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David became the king of Israel. He was the ancestor of another king, King Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. An amazing turn of events. God shows up. God was faithful. And God turned the situation completely around in their lives. And before we conclude today, I want to share some important principles that are found in the story of Ruth that applies to us today. And first of all, I want to say that God's favor is connected to our faith. Now, some people interpret favor as financial favor. God blesses us in a whole bunch of ways, but that, that may be one way shows favor, but it's not the only way. God blesses us by working on our behalf behind the scenes, by setting things up in our lives, by working things out. Amen. The favor of God followed Ruth's faith in God. The, the blessing of God in, upon her life was, uh, was, was resulted of her stepping out literally by faith. She stepped out from Moab and she stepped out with Naomi. She goes back to Bethlehem and she trusts in the God that Naomi trusted in. There's, there's absolutely no indication that she made a profession of faith prior to this, this time when she steps out. But Naomi, 
uh, told both her and, and Orpah to return to her people and her gods, gives her that option. But Ruth declares that she is going to follow the God that Naomi worshiped, the God of Israel. She didn't make a declaration of faith because of what God had done for her. If you look at her life, I mean, she recently lost her husband. She, she lost her opportunity to, you know, have children with him. And so her faith was in response to what God had done for her. Her faith was a response to who God was. And following her faith, we see the hand of God and the favor of God in her life. God honors her faith and blesses her. And church, if you want to have the favor of God upon your life, follow Ruth's example and trust in him with all of your heart and place your faith and your hope in him. So God's favor is connected to our faith, but secondly, God's favor is connected to our faithfulness. Over and over, we see that Ruth was faithful to Naomi and to God. She was faithful staying with her and not leaving her when she decided to return home to Bethlehem. She was faithful and humbly seeking Naomi's blessing before doing anything, before going out in the field. She was faithful in heeding the instructions of Boaz when she gleaned in his field. She was faithful in providing for Naomi from the barley she harvested. She was faithful in doing all that Naomi told her. We see that her response when Naomi sets out the, the instructions for what to do at Boaz, she says, all that you say, I will do. All that you say. There's not one example of her defying, being disobedience, disobedient, of her rebelling, of her wanting to do her own thing. It was all faithfulness in her life. And the result of her faithfulness was the favor of God in her life. You see, as one scholar said, Divine providence does not eliminate, eliminate human activity. In other words, we have a part to play, church. Yes, God is the one who blesses and who, who works on our behalf, but we have a responsibility to be faithful to him. We have a responsibility to follow faithfully, faithfully follow his word, to faithfully follow in his will, and to faithfully follow his ways. Our faithfulness to God is key to receiving his favor. And finally, God's favor is not only connected to our faith and our faithfulness, but it's connected to our future. Ruth had absolute no idea that marrying Boaz, what the result would be. No doubt she believed that God will give them children, God will give them an heir to carry on the family name, and he did that. But there was absolutely no way for her to know that a couple of generations later, that her great-grandson, David, would one day become the king of Israel. She had no idea when she made that decision, when she made these decisions, that that all was going to come to pass. One reason is that if you look at Ruth 1, the story begins in a time in Israel where judges ruled. There was no kings in Israel. And so there was no way for her to know that her that her great-grandson would be king because there was no kings. And so she had no idea what God had in mind. And of course, more than just having a descendant as a king, she was brought into the lineage of Jesus Christ, whose royalty was divine. As our worship team returns, let me say this. When you have a faith in God, and when you are faithful to God, you can, he, God can do something in and through your life that you cannot imagine. He can birth things through you that has greater impact than you can envision. Now, you might not always see the impact of your faith and your faithfulness to God. But if you are faithful to him, he honors that. And God, because that is who he is, he's a God who's faithful. If you consider one way 
we see God turning around. Here she is gleaning in the field. I love this. Seen it, uh, as I was studying the week and seeing things around, someone had uh, somewhere, I can't remember what it was now, but uh, one minute she gleans in the field. The next minute she's owning the field. She owns it with her husband. God turned it around. She had no idea that that was going to happen. But you see, as Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Ruth, Ruth could have never guessed that the Messiah would come through her seed. But you see, God had a plan and God had a purpose for her life. And he had a plan and purpose in mind that was much, much bigger than her. You see, God's favor isn't just about what, what he's doing for us. God's favor is about what he's doing through us. And the result of your faith and the result of your faithfulness extends beyond what God does for you. It impacts not only our future and our eternity, and it impacts the generations that come after us, our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on. But it works in ways that you can never see, impacting the future and the eternity of others. Pastor Bruce often says, and or I've had heard him say before, who is on the other side? Or what is on the other side? Or in this case, who is on the other side of your obedience? God calls us to obey, to be faithful, to have faith in him, and leave the result to him. Who is on the other side of your obedience, of my obedience? What life will change because you've walked with him, made a decision like Ruth, I'm going to go and follow him. I believe one day we will see the impact of our faith and faithfulness to God. We'll see what God's favor accomplished in not only our lives, but in the lives of many others. I just want to end with one story. My father-in-law, I jokingly said to him one time, you're the best father-in-law I ever had. He's the only father-in-law. My father-in-law, Walter Burry, was a man who reminds me of Ruth. I know that when Lorley was just two years of age, Lydia, her mom, made a decision to serve the Lord. After reading somewhere about, I can't remember all the details, but she was reading a, an article, reading something, and it said, like, you know, you have this gift that you've been given. How are you going to raise them? How are you going to impact our lives? And she started to sense the call of God to give her life to Jesus. And so she did. And then a short while later, Walter made a decision to give his life to the Lord. And as you look at his life, there was a season when he lived in Moab when he was away from God. There was a season, I know, that if you, if you heard of it, some of you may know, some of you may have heard of a group called Dave and Aubrey. And they had, a, they had, a, they had a, an album, a record called Bartender Sweetheart. If you look at that album, you see my father-in-law, Walter, on the front cover, attending at the bar, because that's what he was, a bartender. But God began to speak to his heart, and he began to speak to my mother-in-law's heart. And knowing they were responsible for raising my wife, who was only two at the time, they made a decision to serve the Lord, to raise Laura Lee, as we say in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and the things of God.
And so he decided to serve the Lord, put his faith in God, and over his life he remained faithful. Ups and downs, good and bad, he remained faithful. He was not a loud person. Quiet man. Steadfast, though. Consistent. Wasn't up, wasn't down. Was in and out of the church. He was consistent. And no matter what, whether things were good in his life, things were bad in his life, he just remained faithful to God. Just kept putting one foot after the other, kept walking with God. I was talking to my mother-in-law who came with us over Christmas. Lorley's an only child, and so wherever we are, she comes. We start talking about Walter and talking about the things that have God had done, and we start talking about God's blessing and favor that had been shown to him. For many years, many years ago, he was working at a fish plant in Trouty. They were both plant workers in different times, and he was used to work 80, 90 hours a week. Sometimes he'd just get home from working, and then he'd get a call. He'd got to go back again, drive over the highway, you know. And the plant is up in the woods. I don't know why he put the plant up in the woods, but it's up in the woods. You've got to truck everything in. Anyways, beat the bits is what we say. He was, you know, he'd get home, and he was just exhausted all the time. And, and uh, an opening came in. They planned in Port Union, which was much closer to Bonavista, only about 15 kilometers away. And he prayed about it, and his wife prayed about it. And he says, you know, I, I, I'm underqualified. I know there's others who are more qualified, but, you know, I'm going to give it to the Lord and see what happens and pray and believe. And if, if it's God's will, I'll, I'll have this job. And there's a lady in the church who was a woman of God, a woman of prayer, still, goes, still in Bonavista. Her name is Mrs. White, and she was praying for one day and praying for him and I believe it was a, she had a dream and she said she'd seen a hand or the hand of God there was a pile of resumes on the, in her dream on this desk and she'd seen a hand come out and take his resume and put it on top a woman of God and uh, the interviews all went through and all that kind of stuff and Walt though not qualified got the job and you know favor of God was witness in his life. God was faithful to him, and as he walked in faithfulness to God, he, he, like I said, he got it that he wasn't as qualified. A few years later, a job at the plant in Bonavista where they lived came open, and it was a, he was wondering, should he apply? Because, you know, it was a seasonal job, and he had to leave. The one in Port Union was full year, all year round. He said, you know, if I, if I go there, I'm taking a pay cut, but, you know, I'm living at home, and I won't be work, only work in the summer times. You know, is it, is it hard to make that decision, trying to balance it all? But he said, you know what, there's something I just can't get away from. I really feel I should. And so he applies for it, and he gets that job. And um, that year was the year that Hurricane Igor came through the province. And if you know anything about that, did a lot of destruction. Well, destroyed the Port Union fish plant. And they never opened. Sad to say, everyone lost their jobs. But Walt was working in Bonavista, and God was faithful to him, providing. They never, uh, you know, they never were rich by any means, but as plant workers, but God provided. And both bosses, as we were chatting, Lyd said, Lydia said, after hiring him, though, they both said, we made the right decision. You see, Walt's faith in God and steadfastness and faithfulness wasn't just when he was in church. 
was day by day, who he was, he was. When he went to work, he was faithful. He was steadfast. He was consistent. And he was a model employee. Every now and then, he would take a pot, fill it up with vegetables, put it on for all the guys and the people, the workers there, and some, of the, some, of the, some of the workers, and they would love, love him, and they loved him. Sometime later, diagnosed with cancer, battled it for two years before passing away. Passed away just after Noah was born. He said, I finally got, I got my boy. <laughs> he was four months old when Walt passed. But anyways, at his funeral, Walt, he did not have riches. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't affluent. He wasn't famous church was blocked with, and I said, it's only Laura Lee in the family, wasn't a big family, was blocked with fish plant workers, was blocked with people that attended the church, and it was blocked so much that there was people out that couldn't fit in, people in the hallways and stuff. He impacted, and as I talked with some of the folks that attended, they said, you know, Walt impacted my life, I work with him. He impacted my life. I, he didn't have to say nothing. He lived out his faith, and I respected him for it. And it sticks out to me. There's several people that said we, there was a funeral like we've never ever witnessed. There was a different feeling they were saying. I was like, that's the spirit of God. And he impacted people. I still talked to. I've ran into people. I said, boy, I miss him. But because of his faith and his faithfulness, he made an impact in many people's lives. And only eternity will reveal the impact of God's favor in his life. But like Ruth, I believe that one day he will see the impact of a decision to follow God, have faith in God, and be faithful to God. And likewise, if we have faith in God, give him our heart. And if we are faithful to God and walk with him, one day we will see to the decision or the impact of our decision to follow him. God's favor is connected to our faith, is connected to our faithfulness. God's favor is connected to our future. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.